welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Kieran Yoga podcast is Celeste Pereira. Celeste is a trained dancer and trained physiotherapist. She did a teacher training in India in 2009. As life progressed, however, she found herself in a lot of pain, discovered the cause was her hypermobility. Just as hypermobility is glorified in dance, she found it was also glorified in yoga. Eager to see changes in the yoga world, she now uses biomechanics and strength training as the backbone of how she teaches to correct this tendency for hypermobility. Her yoga chances classes will definitely challenge you. Her workshops are informative, funny and frankly honest in her content. She has an amazing online presence and I'm deeply honoured to introduce Celeste today to the Keenan Yoga podcast. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Great to have you. Um, can you just tell us a little overview of your background, how you got into yoga? Okay, so I've got like two starts and I always okay. think of one when actually there's another one. But actually the very first one was I was in a dance college when I first moved to England. And one day a week, this guy would show up, this random man, <laughs> and he would do yoga with us. And, you know, being someone who always danced my whole life, I was like, I'm going to be so good at this. And man, I struggled. I mean, simple things like pyramid pose. I just, I was like, just in this world. And I was like, this is incredible. Anyway, didn't think anything more of yoga. And life took a different path. I went traveling, came back desperate for money, decided, oh, I'll just take an, an easy job in a gym. And it was there that I truly found yoga. This is where I always, this is where mm. I normally talk, tell people when I say, they say, when, what introduced you to yoga? It was in London and I was walking past the studio and they were doing Ashtanga yoga. And I was like, wow, that looks unbelievable. And I honestly didn't even put two and two together, but I thought, you know what? I really want to do that. So I ended up talking to the gym manager and I said, please, can I work my shift so that I could make that class? fell in love with a teacher what a babe and um i just i just dedicated myself to it i absolutely loved it and i found it so hard her she was a little finnish woman gorgeous woman from um she was heli i just remember her her first name heli and she actually moved back to finland and i was gutted when she left she fell pregnant and moved and i was like no don't leave um and i just I just honestly got so, so much from yoga at that time. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that was my introduction to it. And then I ended up not ever thinking I'd ever teach it. It wasn't ever on the cards for me. I ended up going through physiotherapy um, at university. And then mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to take my student loan, which I dutifully I saved it. You know, I was really good. I saved all my student loan. I thought I'm going to go traveling. And one of the oh, things I'd love to do just for fun is I'd love to do a teacher training. And then I ended up in India and I did a teacher training and then I came back again, desperate for money. I thought, oh, do you know what? 
um, I don't want to teach yoga, but I'll just do it for a bit of side cash because I'm really, really low on cash. <laughs> so when they say don't get into yoga for the money, well, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> I, I ended up getting into yoga for the handsome 25 pounds an hour they were paying <laughs> in the gym. <laughs> well, at least you saved a student loan and did something sense with it. I just, I just took my student loan to the bar. <laughs> I don't think that's an unsensible way of spending your, your time. I had fun, yes, but it wasn't, yeah, it could be more constructive. Right, so you, so, you, um, so you started teaching in a gym, yoga. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I never thought that I'd stick, I stick, I'd stick with it, but, you know, I just absolutely loved it, and I, and I got so much from the people that came to my classes, and it just took off. It was weird. It just took off, and I was like, mm. okay, I think I have to surrender. I still carried on looking for physio work. But I was like, look, something is happening here and I, I, I don't want to ignore it. Hmm. Yeah, here I am. Here I am talking to you. <laughs> yeah, you are natural. You really are. I mean, I found Celeste through just watching her her Instagram and uh, her videos and her content is incredible. If you get a chance to do that, you really should. Um, so, and what's your, who, so you went to the, do the teach training and you're not, I mean, from a lot of our listeners are, Ashtanga based listeners, but you're not Ashtanga based. But um, so you did a vinyasa teach training, I think. I mean, if you just want to introduce your style of yoga, oh, be- no, I did not do a vinyasa teacher training. So this is this is what's funny. So I had a passion for Ashtanga when I first started. I was like, oh, Ashtanga is the best thing ever. I had no money. You have to understand how incredibly broke I was. So I had this little pot of savings from my. Um, my student loan, but I was like, I want to go traveling for a significant amount of time. I've really got to try and maximize what I've got. So I'm going to go look for the cheapest teacher training I can find. That's Ashtanga based in India. So now I'm on Google and I'm looking up Ashtanga teacher training. What a mistake. So I end up in this little 500 pounds all in (laughs) teacher training. And they're like, okay, get up at five. So we're there. We do the chanting. We're starting to do the yoga. I'm like, this is not Ashtanga. (laughs) <laughs> and I realized that it's like Ashtanga as the keyword for Patanjali. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Of yoga. okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, listen, I had the best experience of my life. I am not sorry. But while I was there, I was like, bloody hell, I've got to do Hatha yoga for a whole month. <laughs> So it was a funny. It was it was funny because I had all this Ashtanga experience. Then I got all this Hatha experience, which was good for me because I'm a really Type A. And as a lot of the listeners probably know, you know, a lot of Type A people are drawn to Ashtanga, but it's not always good for us. And so, so go back in your bedroom and do an Ashtanga practice after the morning. You know, I did it I, in the beginning. I was kind of like you know really hardcore yeah. Ujjayi breathing, and I was like, oh, this is so boring. But it it was a te- I had a terrible attitude by the way. But then I started being like do you know what i need to slow down and that had the teacher training did so much for me on such a deep level and um still now when people ask me where where would you go for your teacher training i'm like go to the place in india it was awesome (laughs) um and then when i came back i just realized you know me as my personality i'm a bit of a rule breaker i was like i don't want to teach what everyone else is teaching and this was a really really good thing i did if anyone's a yoga teacher Mm-hmm. And they're hearing this and, and you're not, you know, dedicated to a specific path. I feel like this is maybe where a lot of teachers go wrong is they teach what everyone else is teaching and to forge your own path in a crowded market. It's very difficult. I, I didn't do that. I was like, I'm going to dance to my own drum beat. I'm, uh, I thought yeah. I'm going to go to, I'm going to sit down and think of all the classes I've ever been to and the best things about every class. And I made a list and I was like, I'm going to just create my own thing. 
And it turned out, I labeled it Vinyasa because I didn't want to call it my name. I didn't want to call it anything else. I thought I'm just going to call it Vinyasa because whatever, it's, you know, it's a label that you people understand. But did you, did you use your physiotherapy background in doing that? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't know where to start with picking out the best elements. Like how did you analyze what you liked about it? Because we obviously want to touch on your pension or your great knowledge on hypermobility here you know in, in a minute you know were you using anatomical principles at that time or were you just using what you kind of liked you know i don't know when you leave university you know so little that you've got this i mean you must remember we, we don't just do musculoskeletal we do we do musculoskeletal a bit so i knew like all the names of the bones and all the muscles right. but we also right. did respiratory and neurology Plus, we have to go out into the community and we have to work with real life people. So to cram all of that into how many years was my degree? Three years? I can't remember now. Two or three years. Uh, To cram all of that in that space of time. Oh, so it was three years. Is two years? Gosh, I can't remember now. (laughs) It's three years. I was like, I can't remember how long I went to uni. And you came out feeling that you didn't know the subject. Well, yes, but then... I mean, obviously, you know, you've got a bigger head on your shoulders at that age and you're like, oh, I know so many things, you know, I'm so clever. But to be honest, you looking back, I really didn't know what I was doing. So I tapped mostly into what I liked. I tapped into what I enjoyed. And that worked. That worked for my career. But I mean, I didn't even click that I was hypermobile until way later, way later. I was just injured all the time. I was going to Dharma classes. And I was just leaving in so much pain. And I kept going to the physio. I was like, you know, what am I doing wrong? And she was like, you're doing yoga. <laughs> is what you are doing wrong. I was like, no, mate. <laughs> yoga is the best thing since sliced bread. She's like, no, you are, you're putting your body into things you're just not supposed to. And then I put two and two together after a lot of injuries. And I was like, things have to change. I need to, I need to really readdress what I'm doing. Because if I'm in pain, with all the knowledge I have, what about other people? And that's well, when I started hypermobile yogis. Doesn't seem very honest, does it? If you're in, I mean, well, you know, it's an endemic experience, right? The yoga, te- you know, especially in the Ashtanga world, yoga teachers in pain. Um, yeah, doesn't doesn't set a good precedent, does it? Um, no, <laughs> so no, it's what, not a good thing. What, what, what would the basic things, if you could just be kind of very like, really basic and simplistic in presentation that you felt that, that you were doing the wrong that you were able to correct that, that that got you from a place of being loving yoga but being in pain to where you are now yeah so a few things one to only do yoga i believe is unhealthy i believe okay. although it's one of the most well-rounded practices out there it doesn't tick all the boxes you need as a human body that has evolved through nature that is designed to lift we should be lifting we should be putting resistance into our training. Passive end range stretches to go deeper into your joints is not healthy. Your ligaments are not designed to overstretch. They have a very, very low capacity for stretch. And once they go too far, that's it. And actually having a huge amount of joint range that you can't control neurologically through your active range is pointless. It's pointless for the body. Those were two huge changes that I brought into my life. What's active range for people not so? Yeah, so if let's take, for example, you're standing on one leg and you lift your knee to your chest. If I held my knee and pulled my knee in, that's my passive range because my muscles don't really have to do anything. If I let go of my leg and I pull my knee into my chest, that is my active range. And you can do that in any joint angle with any pose. I, I removed passive end range out of my life completely. 
And it was very quick that my body responded. And I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing. I mean, ego-wise, it was a huge knock because I've got all this range in my body and I could go so deep. But I mean, I was just in pain for my big fat ego. I mean, what a stupid price to pay. <laughs> just no point. I think you have to get to that place, don't you? Um, yeah, it's not unusual that people do do that for the sake of their ego, which is um so you what essentially what you'd be saying is that it's an an active or engaged stretch yeah what i'm saying is it can be an active or engaged stretch yeah um or just remove the thing that you're using to keep your body in place so if you're using the floor to do pigeon try to do a plank and keep your leg in the same shape as pigeon and can you go as deep or can you stand on one leg and lift your leg into the shape of a pigeon you probably can't and if there's a huge difference between what a passive pigeon looks like on the floor okay. and a standing one-legged pigeon looks like, you probably have more space in your body than you need. Okay. And what about, I mean, and coming back to the idea of resistance or uh, you, know, you don't feel that there's any resistance in, uh, training in, you know, saying that you need other things outside of yoga, which is, a you know, to some people a contentious uh, claim, you know, they don't want to do anything extra other than, you know, you know it's quite a not doing just a yoga practice, right? Um, so then you don't find that those certain things in yoga that, that aren't trained. Um, and you what are the- use your pull muscles when you pull. Well, I think you there are. Your head? No, there isn't. There isn't. Everyone's like, oh, what about the one where you hold the foot and pull it towards your head like a telephone? I can't remember the name of that one. <laughs> What's that one called, Adam? Help me uh, out. No, actually, I don't know. It's not in my se- in my range of sequence. Oh, it's not in your sequence. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the one where you hold the foot in. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 The archer, the archer. Yeah. Uh, I don't that know. is not, you, you don't use your pull muscles in yoga. You use your push. You use your push. That's why so many yogis have dodgy shoulders because they aren't using the full musculature around their shoulders. Hmm. It's not my interview, so I, I won't kind of go too deep into that. I'm not sure I fully agree. Like things like, um, you know, just to state, you know, just... <laughs> go on, I want to hear it. Tell me, tell me what you think. <laughs> I never usually engage in arguments with my guests. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking something like, that's, that's, not the, that's not the kind of action I would be suggesting as a pull action. Um, more something like a jump through, for example. If you do a jump through in an engaged manner, you'll be pulling your body through. You'll be using that. You'll be using a pull motion. Um, you don't think it's a pull? It's a push no. because you're pushing your body up against gravity. No, Although you're, you're thinking you're of the action of You are pulling because if you, if you weren't pulling, you couldn't get through, for example. Yes, and you should be you should be at no because you should be able to slow that down in every in every it's point. It's still a push. If you're slowing it down, it's a push. Right. Because Anyways, you're pushing it, because you have to resist gravity to go through. Although you're thinking pull, if you pulled your body through, you're resi- to go slowly, you have to resist against gravity, which is a push action. If you pulled your body through, you wouldn't go slowly, you'd go quickly. Hmm. Um, and so moving upon from that subject um, well, I had a um, few others though that I'd no, like to touch upon no 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 we will um just in, in a way laterally slight sideways slightly um so what are the pull muscles that we 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 aren't so using your lats your lats and also your biceps normally in yoga we're using a lot of pecs and triceps that's very basic okay there's a lot uh, more going on for example mid to lower traps to get that scapular retraction through load you don't get that in yoga Yes, you are doing a bit when you go into a chaturanga, but that's still through push. So what are the kind of actions that we need to engage outside yoga to get the pull? 
if we, uh, if we were to, for example, if we rowing, but finding that in, in the yoga practice, rowing is a good one because rowing, you're going to be pulling a mass towards your body. Always when you're resisting your body against gravity, it's a push. But if you're pulling an external force towards you, that would be a pull. And resistance bands around a tree, for example, if you haven't got a rowing machine. Or if you take weights and you hold the weight, let's say one hand is on a bench, the other hand is holding the weight, you're p- parallel to the floor, and you pull that mass towards your body, that would be a pull because you are pulling in that external force. So you can think of the scapular retraction that that would involve those mid to lower traps, um, the lats, the biceps, they, they just grossly underused in the yoga community. Hmm. I can see that I'll give you this. <laughs> I think it's a hard action to get. I would contest that if you can, if you're skillful with your body, you, you will get it. But I don't think it comes naturally. I think generally it would be take like something like chaturanga. It could ultimately, it could be used as a pull, but I don't think it'll be easily taken as a pull. It's still a push. Anyway. Because you're resisting the gravity. <laughs> because your body mass is being slowed down against gravity. So yes, you can consciously engage your biceps and engage your laps. Of course you can. But that is not the muscle action of that movement. <laughs> And what other actions are, aren't being used? One of the big ones that I think is why the yoga butt is such a huge injury in yoga is because your hamstrings, glutes, and back body as a posterior chain have evolved to lift up load against gravity. So if we think about our evolution as humans, and if we had nothing but our bare hands to survive out in nature, we would have a lot of lifting in a day. We would be lifting our children, particularly as women. We'd have them strapped to our bodies as we lifted loads like food into baskets and carried them walking for miles back to the village. Um, often, I know I'm being very stereotypical, but this is just often how we saw the evolution of man. The the male uh, it, the males in our tribes would then go out and source animals, and they would carry those carcasses back for long distances. Water, huge loads that would be carried because the watering hole is a dangerous place. There's lots of animals there, but water would be sourced and then carried back. These are external forces, again, lifting, pulling, something that we don't do in yoga, that we would use to then carry for a long ways through walking and bending forward and then lifting. So hamstrings are long, thin and underused because they aren't put through load in yoga. We are overstretching our back bodies in an attempt to go deeper and deeper. And what we're, we don't have the balance. We're not balancing out these muscles through load by doing things. I know it's very boring to go to the gym and do deadlifts, but we aren't in nature anymore. We live in very sterile environments. We don't lift loads like we used to. And so, That is why I know the gym is not the most exciting place and, you know, getting stretchy bands and adding them into your forward folds seems like a bit of a stupid thing to do. But unfortunately, this is you can't get away from our evolution. And the movements in yoga, although they're so varied and, you know, so good for your brain. I'm on a course in neurology and I'm more and more appreciating the complexity of yoga and how important it is for our brains. On a basic day-to-day evolution of our bodies, we aren't getting from yoga what we need. Mm-hmm. 
how could you make the yoga practice more suitable? Like something yeah. like thinking like, yes, I don't think I, I, I'll give you that one on the hamstrings. Um, I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah, there's just a sedentary lifestyle, an endemic sedentary lifestyle and yoga an hour yoga practice a day probably doesn't replace the need just to move around a hell of a lot more in the day. Right. And I'm including that. And probably you are now, right. You might do a 100%. practice. Yeah. And then you're just sitting on a computer or something, you know, or I know you do climbing and other stuff. So you're probably a lot better than me. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're in a forward fold and the classic thing I see is the person will grab their feet. And, and if they're especially, you know, um, obviously stereotyping if they're, you know, young, hyperflexible woman usually they'll pull themselves as far forward as they can and then come to me a couple months later um, and the hamstring's gone and they can't even forward fold at all now so how can you guide someone through not doing such a classic and simply rectifiable uh, injury right oh so much oh thank you for asking this question it's such a good question so first of all just i just want to clarify that yes that stereotype is obvious and it does happen but also what I found um working with so many people during lockdown is that strong big guys were like okay the the gym is out of the question now my running like I can't really go out as much as I wanted to blah 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 I'm gonna take up some zoom yoga classes and they were also doing a lot of forward folds and their incidence of the yoga butt, which let me just clarify for listeners what that is. That's when the upper attachments of your hamstrings, the tendon attachment, it, it hurts. It, it, it's inflamed. It's not operating as effectively. They, that was a huge increase in right. strong males as well getting these, this yoga butt. And one of the big issues with that is when we are cueing forward folds in yoga, we are cueing people to relax and let go and go to end range. And really, the like I explained, if you were out in nature, you would be loading that posterior chain through lifting. You would never go to end range. You would always be adding load into those tendons, which would thicken them, and it would help prevent the inflammation response. So when we're going into forward folds and we're cueing forward folds in yoga, it's actually really important to activate the posterior chain, which is all your muscles in your back body. You can even do it while you're sitting. You can think of squeezing your bum, think of doing a little bit of energy into your hamstrings. But then as you go into that forward fold, to almost imagine someone's pulling your body up, but you're trying to resist that as you're going down into your forward fold so that there is some activation going through the back body. You don't have to be really specific with it and think, oh, hamstring attachment. That's so that's so um, specific and, and kind of. Yeah. One thing that kind of strikes me as you're speaking about this is that, well, you know, in the kind of original movements, like, say, natural movements that we may we may have had in past ages, there was an obvious intent and aim there. Whereas now in yoga, it's like, well, I'm going forward, but there's not a clear aim really mm, sometimes, yeah. right? It's like. And it, it strikes well, me, this is the uh, thing. Our clear aim was to touch our toes. Yoga is good, you know. So I'm kind of doing yoga, and that the aim is I'm doing something good <laughs> without yeah. a kind of clear reason of like why or wherefore of what the reason for. You know, someone. It's amazing how much a teacher can tell you sometimes and just think, oh, okay, I'll do that now. You know, like without you know explaining like you know what well, this is the reason why you'd be doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're going, well, I think 
with forward folds, the reason was because we wanted to go deeper. There's this, there's, that's one of the things that also I feel the culture in yoga needs to progress away from this. Oh, I went really deep today. Yeah. Oh, deeper is better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the deeper you go, the better a yogi you are. I kind yeah. of, I, one of my passions is actually to change that culture. That depth doesn't equal better at all. Right. In fact, a lot of people going very deep are suffering yeah. the most. Yeah. And so, so what, with a forward what's fold. Better? What's better then? Well, with the forward fold, oh, getting that activation that. through your back body. But guys, it costs nothing to get a couple of stretchy bands that are at a resistance that you feel is, is suitable for your level. And instead of just always doing forward fold after forward fold, get some stretchy bands and hop, loop them under your feet, hold on to them with the hands, and just do a few simple hip hinges. And when I say hip hinge, just to clarify, the hip is the main moving joint that you're moving through so that you are getting that um, full body posterior chain activation, but you're also really loading through this tendons of the hamstrings. You know, you don't have to go to the gym or, you know, stop your yoga, but just at least have a stretchy band and at least do a few of those at the start and end of your practice or or loop them into the middle of your practice just so that you have a little bit more of a well-rounded resistance. And you can, you know what you can do? When you're um, parallel to the floor, you can add in a few pulls as well to get some pull action into your scapula. (laughs) You and I are not going to see eye to eye on that one, are we, Adam? (laughs) But, you know, you're doing a forward fold. That will be another classic time, padding padding you stars in a way you would be pulling back with your arms. Okay, it's not, you know, it's not crazy intense, but you would have a pull. It's not full range. Watch me doing a primary series sometime, and then um, you know, then you can see some pull action. Um, <laughs> but well, I realise that's not an argument because I didn't give you a, a chance to reply to it. But um, <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, if you were thinking about redefining an aim, then we're talking about the aim like this ambiguous going deeper into your posture, you know. And then the, you know, I'll be standing outside so many classes at reputable yoga centres and hearing yoga speak. And I'd be hearing these kind of cues like, now go deep. What the hell is deeper then? You know, like, what does that mean? Okay, it means like, you know, in a kind of most obvious way that you just kind of pull yourself into a deeper version of the same shape. So if we could read, and that's a bugbear of mine, if, if, if we could redefine what deeper really means, then what might we call that? Do you know what I mean? Like, what would we call yeah. progress or advancement? Or, and it's it's difficult to get into, but what? how would we define that in a forward? So look, it doesn't mean the most obvious thing, getting closer to where you're meant to be going. From my humble opinion, which, mm-hmm. uh, guys, you know, I'm still learning, hey, but if, if I had to put a, if I had to put a definition on on gaining more from your body, it would just be, do I have, neurological control of what I'm doing. So if I am going to do Padagastasana hand to toe, right? You use that as an example for pull action. Okay. Can I let go of my foot? Can the leg stay where I had it? Can I have full neurological control from where I have my leg all the way down and all the way back up again? Can I do that repeatedly? You know, can I actually choose a movement that I would normally use an external force to help keep my body in place, let's say a strap or a block or the floor, can I take away that external force? Can I then use that joint action through full range and control it? And then if I get good at that, can I strap some ankle weights on and can I perform the same movement with ankle weights on? 
So now I'm actually loading it up because we have to remember that your body will reach a plateau and then it wants to be challenged further and beyond that. And obviously in nature, that would be varying throughout the seasons. You know, we'd be working super hard during the summer and progressing through the summer, like kind of building up to the climax of winter. We'd rest a lot through winter. We'd probably lose a lot of muscle mass, a lot of strength through winter. But then it would crank up a whole different level again in the summer. We'd go through these cycles. So as, as our body is now in the practice, how can we keep loading our body and continually going through these cycles? Can we sometimes have a break from load? And then can we sometimes load up? Right. So it is, I mean, although you, you know, you're very into the science of it, it is quite, what you're doing is also something that we have to define within the context of awareness as well. When you're talking about neurological control, you're also really talking about the same, but without wanting to be too kind of like a syllogistic, you know, kind of combining the two things together, you know, you're, you're still talking about yoga really, aren't you? you know? Oh, absolutely. Becoming, you know, yeah, becoming is... aware of what you're doing just in different parlance, really. Totally, you know, and oh, Adam, one of the things that I've really found so sad is when when I'm doing a practice that does on the surface look very physical, you know, I've got my stretchy bands and I've got my spiky balls and, and people are like, oh, it's not yoga, you know, it's not yoga what you're doing. And I'm like, the amount of concentration it takes to balance on a moving object like a ball or the amount of presence needed to lift your one rep max the heaviest load you can do for just one repetition. You know, if I can link my breath and my presence into that, it really is a yoga practice, you know, it really is. And I think our definition of yoga maybe needs to expand, that maybe purists need to see that actually, you know, looking at yoga through the lens of just a practice that is only really 100, 150 years old, as how we practice it now, is actually not this ancient thing that had been passed down through generations. And, and really... Where did the inspiration for things like Ashtanga come from? A lot of it came from gymnastics. So maybe we should turn to gymnastics for a few more answers. You know, like this is the thing. I think our definition needs to expand. Move Like I'm on this course, this um, neuroscience course, and oh my gosh, it is so amazing that maybe keeping your head still on your shoulders is actually too easy for us yogis. Maybe we should be moving our head side to side while we're in a difficult balance. <laughs> now you're talking huge levels of presence and working yeah. your vestibular system and getting your visual system to be challenged. Like, you know, I, I feel like there's so much more out there and we've kind of put ourselves in a little box and it's so important to get out of that box. Hmm. So what, there's another question I've got there, but before we get to that, I mean, the obvious question that comes is what, what, what does your day of training look like? What does your practice look like uh, inside yeah. and outside of yoga? Okay. Hmm. So. Um, I consider all of my movement practice, even when I'm in nature, as my yoga practice. Mm. So I, I meditate every day. I feel like that is the sacred part of my, of my, um, I meditate twice a day, most days. <laughs> um, and, and outside of that movement, I've, I try and get off of my mat. I try and walk barefoot on grass and rocks and roots and sand and pebbles to try and get that neural stimulation through your feet, which are just on bland, flat surfaces all the time, which is, again, so unnatural. I try and, you know, climb as opposed to just always being on a square piece of rubber doing the same movements. Climbing is one of the most incredible forms of 
yoga practice you can get out there because you have to put your body in some very funny positions. You have to overcome your fear brain for reaching for something that is just out of reach that if you don't get it, you're going to fall. You have to be brave enough to fall, you know, which of course is a huge part of, of your yoga practice. You have to be brave in your, in your balancing. So I take my yoga practice off of the mat. I do heavy lifts and resistance training, which has been a real game changer in, in terms of pain levels in a hypermobile body that I've um, had since child, lots of pain since childhood. Right. Um, and, and I do a lot of cardio, which is another thing I feel my body was lacking in um, on the mat. I just I couldn't even run around the block without half dying. <laughs> and so now I take my yoga mat and I, I'll do almost a yoga practice, but I'll almost add in cardio to it, like mountain runners in a plank pose. Would you get up and halfway and start sprinting on the spot? No, I'll give you. I I'll do. Give you I that. do. I do. I don't even. I'm not even exaggerating. I do. I actually run on the mat and I do high jumps, and then I do a yoga practice on my mat, but I do all cardio. It's it's so much more intense than just holding a pose still for five breaths, but so good. Just that all rounded thing of am I using all the aspects of my body. Hmm. It sounds very balanced. I mean, some people are still going to say, well, that's not yoga, it's not spiritual. Um, what, what, are you interested in the yoga philosophy? I mean, is that your thing as well? Or, I mean, do you combine that in your, in your practice or your day or your teaching? Or, and how does that relate to, to the more, say, current take that you've got on yoga? So I would say that my deepest philosophy is, is expressed through my meditation practice. Um, I come from a very religious childhood. And so I think a part of my rebellion against being too dogmatic in my yoga practice comes from almost resisting religion. And, and a part of me maybe felt, and this is not right of me. I realize I have a lot of growth in this area and I, and I, I actually respect the skeptics, uh, point of view on this, you know, I understand where they're coming from when they say it's not really yoga, Sal. You know, I understand where they're coming from. But as someone who's grown up in this sort of religious, like, you know, this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing kind of childhood, I, 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 I'm deeply against that. So for me, one of the things that has really struck a chord in my spiritual journey has been learning about Buddhism and how when you read Buddhist texts, it's really not about this um external thing like a god or you know you've got to do the right thing for xyz reason it's more just your own little journey like you you yourself are you every day doing the best you can to be a good person and i know in my heart that i'm doing that you know i know i've gone through so many different experiences and i've met so many really really um overt yoga people that that were not very nice people. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what is that all about? You know? So I think, I think it's a personal thing. I think that we can't put labels on it because when I remember doing Vipassana, one of the things that I didn't like about Vipassana was they said that this is the only way. And I was like, no, there is not just one way. There has to be many ways. And one of the things that I've always, def- one of the ways I've always defined yoga is that it's a living art and it's a, it's a, because it's living, it's always changing. And if someone is coming into this world and seeing a way for them to use their body to live out of pain and to be a good person, for me, that's the definition of yoga, far beyond. And what's the, the what's the, what, what's the aim? The aim is, is, is the aim, the aim is, is for you. Be, just to clarify, the aim for you is, is very um 
very imminent is very uh, of the world, right? I mean, you know, the two, you know, the let's say the, uh, the the conceived aim of yoga was quite transcendental, right? It was to realize some kind of higher, let's say, knowledge of self. But your your positioning, your take on yoga, very much, you know, of a use of this world, you know, use of yourself in this world for yeah, a use of this of world, world, but yeah, but I was, but also. Um, if we think of all the different spectrums, uh, all the different spectrums of your state, your being, right? Let's put at the bottom of the spectrum something like shame. And let's slowly start climbing the spectrum into maybe um, anger. And then a little higher than that, we've got joy. And then beyond that, we have bliss. You know, everyone is on that spectrum at a different place. And everyone will have a different place of transcending into that place. Now, for me to step on the mat and go, I want to achieve bliss. Like, it's just, it's not where I'm at. It's just not where I'm at. You know, for me, every day, it's probably just achieving joy and presence. And and if, I, if I'm achieving that, and then when you achieve that, you're like, okay, but what's the next level on the spectrum? You know, like, if we think about it in terms of manageable baby steps, it's almost like you're actually going to get there. But I've met, I've met, honestly, Adam, it hurts my heart to even say this, but I've met people that are so like, you know, they're on the yoga path and they so like, you know, this is the only way. Blah, blah, blah. And then they treat the lady at the coffee shop terribly. I'm like, you should not be achieving bliss right now. That is not where you're at. You should be more of this world and treating your fellow human being with a bit more kindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose just to tune it down a notch slightly for a second, well, if you've got any key suggestions for people, I mean, your specialism and my particular interest with with your teaching is the hypermobility stuff because I see it as so endemic in the yoga world and I want to particularly focus on this for you in this interview. What are your your take-home points? You could say three things that you ought not to be doing perhaps just to kind of ram that point home again. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be the same things I've said. It's really simple. I think uh, hypermobile people, we have to remember, I just want to define hypermobility just in case anybody doesn't understand. So so when you hear someone talking about being double jointed, you know, they've got that natural flexibility in their body. They can almost waltz into their first ever yoga class and the teacher runs up to them and goes, oh, you have a beautiful practice. (laughs) And really it's just that this person has actually got something inside their collagen formation, which is in all of their all of their body, um, that's a little bit disrupted. So it doesn't it doesn't have that nice taut, which is actually healthier, guys. You want that nice taut um, uh, stop to your tissues, so that you get to the end of a movement and you go, oh, that's the end of where I can go. Oh, maybe I can go a little bit further, but I feel my muscle stretching. For hypermobile people, we don't feel the muscle stretching <laughs> necessarily. We'll go to the end of our range. We'll go to the end of our range and then it will feel um, like nothing. And then we'll continue beyond that until we think we can feel something. But really what we've done is we've gone into our ligaments. And this is dangerous for us because one of the things we don't have is the signals back to the brain. It's called proprioceptive signals telling us where we are in space. So, we feel we can feel something, but the little bit of protection that our joint has of the ligaments and the capsules that wrap around the, uh, the joints, those um, ligaments don't, they, once they overstretch, the joint then sits in a very soggy 
formation. And it doesn't then follow a natural congruence with movement. Like let's think of a knee walking down the street. It just sort of swings forward and back, forward and back as you're walking. If you have hypermobility, the knee will then almost go into what we call a valgus knee line. It'll collapse inwards. And over time, that joint will experience wear and tear. So this is really common for yoga people. So I would say we have to understand that basic science of hypermobility when we're working with hypermobile people. They can't feel what you feel. So when we're asking questions like, how does that feel? That's the wrong question to be asking people with hypermobility. Or can you feel that? You know, that's something so many people in yoga use as teaching cues. Mm -hmm. You know, go to where you really feel something. No, hypermobile people, it's the wrong focus entirely. We need to be putting our focus on almost going out of end range into a focus of resistance. Now, I used the example of a forward fold at the start of the uh, podcast. When moving into forward fold, can you imagine someone's holding you and pulling you up Mm. While you're trying to go down into the forward fold, I suppose this that, is a great tip for hypermobile people. It is difficult, and another thing that we're facing, I suppose, is we've got the the format of a yoga class now is so limited in terms of time, in terms of generalized focus amongst the many many people of many different abilities and ranges, um, and and that kind of instruction. Although it probably I'm rather wordy, and I probably I would probably say something like that. How would you, you're a lot smoother than me, cue it in a, in a fewer words? So what are your kind of cues rather than saying, well, you know, kind of deepen your, your whatever or, you know, like, uh, you know, go to the end off, really feel that or, you know, how would you cue something alternatively for a, a better effect? That's a good question. I think we teach quite differently because for me, I, I don't even go there anymore. I'm like always full full control of your body are you active? Because I find with a lot of very stiff people, they're weak. Yeah. So can you give an example? So, do, so, so um, let's use, I don't know, let's use Paschimottanasana as an example, seated forward fold. Instead of getting people to grab hold of their feet and pull their chest towards their thighs, I would get them to actually get their arms out of the equation. Imagine someone sitting on them and they're trying to push that person up and then maintain that. As you go a little bit further, can you at that new deeper range create the same resistance? Now, if you're really good, why don't you whack some weights into that? Stick maybe an ankle weight on your back because you could they roll out, don't they? They turn into like a little mat. Right, right, right. Stick that on your back or um, maybe take some stretchy bands and you know tie that to a tree branch if you're sitting on the floor under a tree and you can almost try and pull your body into a forward fold but you've got the resistance of the stretchy band pulling you up you know that can't i mean i'm giving really random examples that aren't going to help you with your teaching <laughs> i'm thinking more self-practice yeah, no, but i guess where i'm going is just yeah, changing yeah, yeah. it up <laughs> yeah i see i see the ideas yeah yeah and where are you going with your practice I'm on my neuroscience course, which is related to biomechanics and movement. Mm. And so um, the three systems that send information from the uh, body back up to the brain are your um, proprioceptive system, which we've spoken about in regards to hypermobility. But we also have our inner ear canal, which is our vestibular system. And we have our visual system as well. Those systems are producing input to the brain. And how your brain interprets that will then result in the output And so um, I'm learning all about how we can uh, heighten our brain's ability to get that information, to interpret it better, 
So the output is at a much higher degree. So for example, um, a class that I'm going to be doing through the month of January will be about the cerebellum, how the cerebellum deals with accuracy, balance, and coordination. And so in the practice, we're actually going to be challenging your cerebellum and doing lots of unusual things. So my practice, I know, guys, I get a lot of stick for it. It doesn't look like yoga, but I know so many people have written to me going, thank you, this class, oh my gosh, uh, I've left feeling better than ever. Finally, that pain in my knee is gone or X, Y, Z has changed. So yeah, my practice does look really wacky. <laughs> but yeah, I know people are getting a lot of value from it. And it's it's just exciting learning about the complexities of the body and the brain. So there are still very specific things you're doing to cue certain kind of psychological reflexes, it sounds like. So it's- um, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Like small movements. Have you, have you got any examples you can give of those? So, for example, let's think vestibular system is your inner ear. And I, I used this example before, but I think it's worth it. For you guys that are practicing Ashtanga, you know, why don't you, next time you're in Paragustasana, you're holding, doing hand-to-foot pose, instead of just keeping your eyes fixed at a certain gaze and your head still, try two different things. One, move your head, but keep your eyes on a fixed point, or keep your head still and move your eyes. So you're actually challenging the visual and vestibular systems while you're in your practice, because if you don't use it, you lose it, you know, and these are input systems to the brain. And what's so fascinating about the brain is that if it isn't getting challenged through these different inputs, the brain goes, oh, we don't need this anymore. So let's re-recruit the neural, the neural tissue to a different zone. And if you don't use it, you lose it. So now you aren't getting accurate information through the eyes and the ears anymore. And the brain operates like this. If it senses a threat, it'll produce a response to help you change your behavior. So for example, if people suffer from fatigue, pain, nausea, dizziness, it's not necessarily that there's anything related to those symptoms. It could just be the brain not getting accurate information and the brain going, oh, it's a bit scary for me. I sense a threat. I'm going to make the person feel super tired so they lie down in bed. Right. It's not actually because you've done anything to feel yeah, tired. Yeah, yeah. Or you know what? I'm going to give you knee pain. I know. I'm going to change your behavior. I'm going to give you knee pain. So it's fascinating. A lot of times we just change a couple of things in terms of the input. Mm-hmm. And people's long-standing pain issues they've had for years disappears instantly. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And kind of nicely segueing in. Um, to an, my next question, you can reach a lot of people now through, you know, modern mediums. I mean, yoga, since I started, has come online, you know, I mean, not, you know, since since very recent times, but, you know, since, well, I started when it was hardly even internet, right? So, you know, things have changed in terms of the spread of information. Um, and you, you use the platform fantastically, and you really spread a lot of useful information around. Um, how do you feel about, you know, that, you know, the kind of, the way that modern, let's say, current yoga is being uh, approached, uh, pluses and minuses, maybe. just Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is there's a lot of good stuff happening out there. Um, like any industry, there's always going to be good and bad, you know, and, and even the bad kind of needs to be there because it, it's, it's like, I mean, like, it's like me starting out and being very bendy and really wanting to like, you know, earn a living. And so I did bendy things on Instagram. Like I had to go through that and I know I did the wrong thing and, but I didn't know at the time. So, I mean, who am I to judge someone doing that now, but still it's my responsibility with the current knowledge I have to share 
But I don't think that that's the way that we should keep going. And so that is obviously my message. But I mean, you know, I'm so happy that people are out there moving, to be honest with you. So whatever they're doing, whatever inspires someone to move is fantastic. Because I, when I train people in anatomy, I start the anatomy training with a statement. There, um, there is really no good or bad movement. The only bad movement is the one that you're not doing. You know, the one that when you're always static, the one that you're always still, when you're on the chair, you know, go out and move because it's okay. If you're going to do something wrong, it's okay. As long as you're moving, you're going to learn from that movement and you're going to progress and you're going to develop as a, as a mover. And, and movement is so, so important. Although I sit still for my meditation, I realized after Vipassana just how important movement was for my sanity and my body and my health. Um, because obviously sitting still in Vipassana is so hard Mm -hmm. and, you know, huge gains in terms of my mind and my progress as a meditator, but, but actually the physical price that I paid afterwards, I realized for me, wasn't a price worth paying. And so now when I see someone moving, even if it's not perfect, I'm like, well done, you are moving your body. Mm. So yeah, on Instagram, if someone is doing, you know, bendy things and, you know, someone looks at them and goes, Oh, what if I learn how to do that? go ahead. You, you move guys, just keep moving. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think it's a cliche, but you're going to get your teacher. Right. And I mean, I taught first of all, with absolutely, I was doing everything in the kind of opposite way that I would cue it or revise it now, you know, and I, you know, I, I think as you, I got, you know, I got very popular in the classes because I think both of us were probably really enthusiastic about our subject, you know, and then, you know, you get the, you get the students that, that resonate with you, right? And you hope that maybe you all move together and, and, or you also hope you don't do too much harm to those enthusiastic students like you that joined your classes originally, right? And uh, we're encouraged, well, at least I encourage people to do all kinds of very overly bendy and uh, crazy stuff. Um, so, and that's, that's fantastic. I'm, um, what do you think about diet? Do you have any recommendations on, on diet along with oh, this? It's such a deep question. And um, all I'm going to say, it's so individual, hey? You know, as a yogi at heart and someone who deeply cares about the planet animals, I went vegan for almost 10 years, but I absolutely destroyed my body, guys. My hair almost all fell out. I was, I didn't, I mean, sorry to get really graphic now, block your ears if you don't like graphic information, but you know, I didn't do a solid poo for about five years. It was terrible. And so I I then went, I thought, okay, obviously something has to change. Started eating fish first. It wasn't enough for me. So I know it's not the best, but I had to switch over back into eating higher levels of protein and I do my best to source it from the um you know best places I possibly can. So I know it's organic and the animals have been free, but my heart hurts you know because i i know that ethically there is no better thing than going vegetarian but my body physically couldn't handle it but you know it's so interesting how different we all are because i have a friend who she thrives on a vegetarian diet you know for her it was the absolute best thing and you know i'm someone who read all the like china study and i watched forks over knives and i was like vegetarianism slash veganism is the way forward and man i went in but I just couldn't get away from the symptoms. It was, yeah. And mm. so now I call myself a flexitarian. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm. And even but it's a deep, deep subject, very deep subject. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're not on your own there. A lot of people have gone through that, you know. And even when you were vegetarian, you were still trying to eat kind of like, you know, the, the kind of, 
beans and the tofus and that. Oh, I went, oh, went in on the beans, in on the tofus. And oh, that's all I lived on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, I, I did my best and I tried to be intelligent about it. I read so many books, but in the end, it just didn't work. It, it's so sad because I know in my heart that that is the way forward. But um, yeah, it was that or losing all my hair and not doing no solid poos. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't want you to lose your hair. Um, <laughs> What's your opinion, Adam? Oh, yeah, this is not my platform. I'm, oh, please, please tell, please tell I'm, us. Well, I'm pretty much a vegetarian. Um, but the thing is, there is a complicated question. I'm going to do an interesting uh, episode soon with uh, uh, Mary uh, Free, uh, Mary Taylor Freeman, who is a Richard Freeman's wife, and she is really into food and uh, you know and yoga, and she's you know and she knows a lot about the subject. So we're going to discuss it more there. But I think it is a complicated opinion because also the times of your life change as well, right? So I'm 42 now, right? So I don't need to eat the the um, that I, I think I could have done probably with maybe a non-vegetarian diet, maybe, but for the high levels of movement I was doing when in my twenties and thirties, when I look mm. back and see pictures of myself, but now, no, I really, I mean, I do eat eggs, I have to say, uh, which I didn't before. Um, but I mean, you look at me and um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty solid now and I'm vegetarian. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so awesome. it's a strange thing. And it's, you know, it's so and strange. And I don't, because the other thing is, I don't want to go on about this too much, but I don't eat that much to even, to be honest. I think yeah. I put, but it's different metabolisms in different part of times of life because there was, a time, there was a time I think when I could, couldn't have eaten enough, you know, whereas now when you get older, I don't have that feeling. I mean, I eat mainly I eat one main meal a day, to be honest, I don't eat so much and, you know, and yeah. I don't seem to lose weight or, or put it on. So yeah, I mean, but That's but awesome. that but it's trimming the sails because you can strike a point and and that works, and then you can get caught up in that point and it's no longer working, but you don't any longer realize that. And that that's I think that's really wise advice because not only is it a very individual thing that each person needs to look out for themselves and figure out what works for them, but also it should change. Absolutely. I think especially, um, I also don't want to go on about this too much. And uh, guys, I have no knowledge in this. I've read a few books that's as extensive as my knowledge is. But I also just want to mention that for females, especially with our hormones, and I know guys also have a lot of hormone stuff that they need to look after. But I think especially in just in my little journey, when I look back on my cycle, my sleep, all the different things my body was going through, I think hormonally, I just wasn't getting what I needed to actually function well. And again, I think it's my own body, especially as a hypermobile person, I think I needed high levels of protein to kind of knit everything together because everything is just so sloppy all the time, especially that thing. That's why my gut suffered so much. I don't have that um, collagen even in my gut, keeping the formation of my gut. I know it sounds so wild to even think about that, but since I'm eating more solidy kind of hardcore food, my guts have improved oh, dramatically. And as a result, my immune system and my hormones, oh man, I can't tell you the difference, but it's such an individual process. Mm. Well, I think it's related to emotional and you kind of personality types as well you strike me as you know using the kind of ayurvedic ideas as quite a kind of vata and energetic person you know and that would have implications on the kind of energy that your body needed and the amount of energy that you went through as well right 
Um, yeah, for sure. I'm hyper mode. I can't drink coffee, guys. Otherwise, yeah, no, you looks- think I'm being hyper now? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, can see that. I can see that. I was going to ask you, and this is my last question, and I thought it's a neat little uh, uh, foray into it as well. Uh, how do you cope with the stress of your workload and the demands of the, the pressure that you have? Because you're very successful now. You're very popular. I'm sure a lot of people are asking for you and, and asking for your attention. And you've only got so much time in the day. And I know you're doing so much with it. How do you structure your day to to be efficient and not be over? I can see you could be con- completely overwhelmed or very stressed with all these different things you want to do, right? So, well, do you know what? One good thing about my personality is I don't put pressure on myself to do everything. So, for example, I was telling you before we started recording that when I'm preparing for my workshops, I put so much time into them. And I don't even leave my, my room, my desk for like two weeks. I literally, I, I call it the hole. I go into the hole and I don't leave the hole until the work is done. But, you know, in that time, I won't put pressure on myself to do a daily practice or to uh, cook every meal. I'll sometimes order in a meal. Or I, if I'm like, I can only meditate once today, that's fine. Oh, I didn't do breathing. No problem. I tend to try and do a few cold showers every week. No cold showers. Like I let things go to make space. And I feel like that's a really important um, message that maybe I'm glad we're talking about this actually, because I feel like you look on the outside and someone's like, this is my daily routine, you know, and they're like, wow, how do they do everything? And the truth is, it's just not possible. So I, what I call zig and zag, now is a time in my life where I don't need to set my alarm very early. I let myself wake up naturally. I do my full morning routine. And then I dedicate three or four hours a day to work. But when it's time to put pedal to the metal, I can do it. I can go. There's another good thing in my personality. I can graft when I need to graft. But I don't put pressure on myself to keep up the morning routine and, you know, to like do every. It's just not possible. You've got you've to cut yourself some slack. So mm. that's my strategy. I don't know if that helps anybody out there, but I think a lot of people put too much pressure on themselves to do everything. And right. and maybe me sharing this, maybe that will give you guys some permission also to just, yeah, don't worry. It's all good. <laughs> but maybe focus on one thing at a time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you've got a good focus going on, which, you know, which is important, you know, to be able to train the mind and focus it on one thing. Well, that's yoga, isn't it? Um, what do you have to do outside yoga? What do you, you know, let's rephrase that again. What, you know, what do you, what do you do other just to relax and, and unwind out, you know, outside hobbies? Um, and, yeah. <laughs> so I just re-picked up my guitar this last okay. month. Right. And I mean, it's a massive car crash, but it brings me so much joy. And on my um, neuroscience course, we're learning about how it's going to sound wacky, guys. Brace yourself, but actually, how good juggling is for hypermobility uh-huh. because it stimulates the visual and vestibular systems. And so, I've taken up juggling as well. And again, oh my gosh, it's so bad, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> just, just, I'm just dropping balls basically, but I'm just enjoying myself. <laughs> how, many, how many can you do? I'm only on two at the moment. Two? I've only just started. I know, I know. Are you struggling? That's not even. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad I am. <laughs> I can do three. I, the actions change very much. Secret to go from two to three. <laughs> opposite, because three, you throw the one in the air and you move. Before you do an, a different movement. It's it's a you can't see on the. Uh, can you do four? 
I could do four, but you have to you have to practice a little bit. I can do three now. Wow. I'd have to practice for four. And I'm so the, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about the limit, really, of my abilities. Um, so just just as a final thing, I always ask this question. It's a silly question, but what you know, and uh, but some people provide funny answers, so I keep it on. What are your guilty? Do you have any guilty pleasures? What would you say? <gasps> A, well, right now I'm really into this program on Netflix called The Last Kingdom, which isn't like me because I don't normally like blood and guts and violence, but it's literally how England was formed. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's not yeah. based perfectly historically. It's also embellished truth, but yeah. um, it's Netflix. I'm just really enjoying it. I kind of getting I'm getting a bit lost in the story of it, which is not like me. I hate starting series because it takes up so much time. But I started this one, and I'm just yeah, it's my little guilty pleasure. I like to snuggle up under the duvet on the sofa and watch a Last Kingdom episode. <laughs> You're not on your, your Netflix has definitely been a, a, a guilty pleasure of choice by many people. Maybe, yeah. Netflix and it's still chocolate and Netflix or, or chocolate and Netflix at the same time even. I mean, uh, that sounds like a really good night to me. <laughs> a guilty pleasure combination. Cynical <laughs> um, Celeste for coming on the podcast um, Oh really Adam thanks podcast. man and, uh, Yeah it's been a wonderful discussion and Thank you Yeah I just want to say a really sincere thank you to your listeners I know I talk super fast and I can go to town a bit on stuff I get super passionate but guys thank you for listening it's Thank you so time. much for your energy It's just yeah it means so much Thank you um, I won't say uh, you can find Celeste on Instagram Celeste. Uh, Say your surname for us Celeste Pereira Right, that's what I thought. And and <laughs> you can find it everywhere. So I won't link I'll link it to you in the uh, in the podcast. Okay. Thank you so much, Adam. Cheers, mate.